Hey guys, I'm really excited to announce we are going to be doing a giveaway. What this is going to be is a two-man, two-day guided waterfowl hunt on November 18th and 19th in Northeast Kansas with Steady Wing Outfitters. In order to be signed up for the drawing, there's four things I need you to do. You need to go on to Instagram and follow the Steady Wing Outfitters Instagram page. You have to follow the Wicked Hunting Report Instagram page. In that Wicked Hunting Report Instagram page, I'm going to be making a post about the giveaway. In that post, I need you to tag three friends in it, and then you have to subscribe to the podcast. Once you've done all four of those things, follow the two Instagram pages, subscribe to the podcast, and tag your three friends. I need you to screenshot all four of those things and send them in a message to me on the Wicked Hunting Report Instagram page. Once you've done that, I'll enter you into the drawing. Uh, the drawing will go until the last day of February. Then on March 1st, I will draw the winner. And then on March 2nd, in that episode, I will announce who the winner is. So good luck. Tell your friends. Get as many people as you can signed up. The more people you have signed up, the better options you have that one of your buddies is going to win it and invite you along. Good luck. Before we get started, I want to tell you about our sponsors. Uh, first, we have DuckSeason.com. That's D-U-K-S-Z-N.com. Uh, go on there and check it out. You can trade hunts with people from across the country. Uh, there's a good duck hunting forum on there. You can buy some merchandise. Uh, there's also the Salty Fowl line of clothing on there where 100% of the profits go to the conservation of eiders. Next, we have Steady Wing Outfitters. It's located in northeast Kansas, and they're guiding for waterfowl, turkey, and deer. Uh, follow them on Instagram and Facebook, and if you want to book a hunt, you can call Mikey Soberano. His number is 785-410-2304. Next, we have 701 Pursuit. That's Caleb and the guys making hunting and fishing videos on YouTube. Uh, you can check them out there, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all those places. They also have a website. It is the numbers 701pursuit.com. Go on there and buy some clothes, hat shirts, stuff like that. Now we've got Waylon Johnson and his guide service, uh, hunting ducks and geese down in the San Antonio, Texas area. Uh, you can find him on Facebook. It's Waylon Johnson on there. Or you can give him a call. His number is 361 Four nine four seven eight six eight. Lastly, we have Highline Retrievers uh, dog training up in Northeast Montana. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. It's H I L I N E Retrievers. You can also uh, give me a call. My number is four zero six seven eight three seven zero eight three. If you have any questions on training, need any advice, any help, or if you want to set up some training in the future for your four-legged friend. Uh, thanks a lot and enjoy the show. All right, welcome to the Wicked Hunting Report. This is Garrett. Today I'm with John Stallone. Uh, he's from the Days in the Wild podcast. He's also the co-founder of howlforwildlife.org. Uh, and he's a big-time archery hunter, been in the game for a while, written for magazines. So, uh, John, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, Garrett, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I'm uh, John Stallone, been uh, in the hunting industry since 2001 meaning been paid some way shape or form uh from the hunting community 
to do hunting type stuff. And um, I mean, I've, I've been a hunter since some five years old and uh, got into bow hunting probably right around the time I was about 13. And um, I wear a lot of hats, but first and foremost, I'm a, I'm a father of three and a husband. But uh, like you said, I'm co-founder of Howlful Wildlife, which keeps me really busy. I have a podcast, Days in the Wild. I write occasionally now. I write for some magazines, not as much as I used to years, years ago. I've authored some books, Secrets of Hunting Western Game, Whitetail Hunter's Blueprint, a couple of books that I've authored. Uh, still try to produce some videos here and there on YouTube. Uh, full-length films and stuff like that but I had a tv show for from 2014 or 2004 to 2016 excuse me um yeah so I've kind of I've, I've worn a lot of hats been in a lot of places done a lot of things for within the hunting community hunting industry okay so why don't you tell us about the how for wildlife.org what that is yeah how is uh it's an organization that uh Really, essentially what it does is it, it educates the Joe Hunter, so to speak, on issues that involve hunting and fishing. Um, and I say issues, it could be, you know, legislation, could be rule changes within a commission, could be pro hunting, could be, you know, going against uh, anti-hunting trying not to lose any you know land or or lose any hunting rights and what we do is we we provide the education on those subjects and we also provide you the tools to communicate directly with the decision makers of that legislation or that or the that policy or that action um like a prime example so right now um this is a pro hunting thing in montana there is a movement to get hunting included into the state constitution that hunting is a right. So a lot of states hunting is a privilege. It's not necessarily written in as that it's your hunting right. So this is a pro hunting thing that we're involved in right now. And we're, we provided the information. And if you went to howforwildlife.org, you would click on our action center, click on that Montana action. And you just put your name and your email address and you hit send. And what that does is it sends a pre-drafted email. And it's not a canned email. It's a pre-drafted email, meaning we draft up 50 to 200 variations of emails and 50 to 200 variations of the subject line. And it will send that email to all the decision makers of that particular action. So all the all the uh, legislators that are dealing with that particular uh, situation, they're going to get an email directly from you. Garrett is going to send an email. It's not going to say Alpha Wildlife. It's not going to come from Alpha Wildlife. It's going to come from Garrett to to the decision makers, and it's going to have an email. Now you have the ability as the user to read the email. If there's things about it you want to change, or if you want to personalize it a little bit, you can do that. It's editable. You can edit anywhere in that or you can completely erase it and send your own um so it's a really neat system nobody else is doing it and it's it's really been um 
groundbreaking. We get involved in a lot of other things. Uh, we get involved in getting people to actually show up to commission meetings or getting uh, show up to committee meetings and have the hunter be present. Because before we were doing this, one or two hunters that would show up that were super angry would show up there angry, not knowing what to say. And there would be a hundred anti-hunting people showing up. And, and they always show up with their uh, list of things that they always talk right, about. Exactly. So now, since this past year, since we've been doing this, more hunters are the hunters have out outshone the anti-hunters by like five to one, and we are all going with educated, um, you know, talking points and so on and so forth. So it's it's been pretty amazing. Yeah. And then part of the deal, too, I mean, that's kind of like streamlines it, getting it to the people that it needs to get to rather than having to go through and find, you know, each person's email and knowing that they're the right person that you need to talk to for your area or whatever it is. So that's that's actually really cool. and That's a smart idea. So um, off of that, what I guess are some of the other big things going on around the country that people in their area should be worried about or concerned on? Yeah. So. It seems, I mean, now having done this for almost two years and one year officially, um, it seems that the anti-hunting establishment is always goes for what we call the low-hanging fruit. They're always going to start with predator hunting, uh, bears, lions, stuff like that, because one, most hunters don't hunt bear and lion you know it's a smaller niche and two it's an easier sell to the public but lastly and not as well known is that it kind of fits their overall it's it it plays into the long game because if you eliminate bear hunting let's say in a region and now those bears decimate the elk herd or decimate the deer herd and same thing with lions now there's less of those um game animals out there Mm -hmm. we have to reduce hunting or maybe not even hunt some areas might get closed because now there's not enough to hunt because let's remember hunting is a tool that removes the surplus you know, we're used as a tool. You know, you want to talk about hunters being conservationists, other than the fact that, you know, our our money, the hunting dollars goes into a lot, goes back to conservation. Um, we're all we're also a tool used by management to reduce numbers and keep a healthy population. So when you come into a system of 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 conservation, you're coming to a management system. You got to look at everything holistically. So you can't just take this and not expect this, the other side, to be affected by it. So everything needs to be managed very well-rounded, and that's prey, prey, predator, everything in between, you know, habitat, and and get all the considerations have to be mm-hmm. taken into effect. Yeah. So their their i their agenda is let's disrupt it where we can which throws everything else off so you're forced it basically forces our hand to 
too have to give up the things that so you know those deer hunters that don't care about lion hunting in california because they lost lion hunting a long time ago but just using that as an example they don't care about that you should care about that because eventually it's going to come not only is lions going to come to your front door but the fact that you won't be able to deer hunt anymore comes to your front door it seems yeah, it seems like they always start with trapping on that type of deal, too, oh, yeah. and it kind of works its way up. Of the lowest. Mm-hmm. Because you know why? Because it's not as palatable for the non-hunting public to get their head wrapped around. Hell, half of us hunters can't get our heads wrapped around the fact that trapping's, you know, a thing. Mm-hmm. So um, that's why it's so important. This is I've, I personally I have been on a mission – to get hunters to care about other hunters uh, for a very long time. I back in 2000, I think 17 or something started a, an initiative on that, but we've adopted that into Howlful wildlife that we want people, you know, in one state to care about people in another state because we're all connected. We all pay into the same, both literally and figuratively pay into the same kitty. We're all contributing to the same thing. And our voice collectively is what, and our monies collectively, and our passions collectively of what keeps us here. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not, it's not any one thing. Yes, of course, there's certain things that are more, you know, deer hunting being probably the top of the top, being the most that brings to the table. But it would be very silly for somebody to have think that eventually deer hunting will not be in the target, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the uh, sites, so to speak of anti-hunting. I'm totally on the same page with you. And yeah, there's definitely, that's definitely something that people need to look into just because, you know, great grandpa started deer hunting with 30, 30 way back in the day. Doesn't mean that if you don't take action two generations from now, your great grandkids won't be doing it because I mean, there's people in California that are grandpas that never would have thought that there would be anything they couldn't exactly. do California hunting wise. And exactly. then like I rented a house from a guy that he moved from California in the eighties cause he saw where I was going and he was a big hunter and he said, I need to get out of here. And he moved up to the West side of Montana and yeah, he said growing up, you never would have thought it. And then he got into his twenties or thirties or whatever it was and saw where it was going and where it was going fast and got out. Yeah, I know that's and, and unfortunately, getting out is not really is not to solve all right yeah because the more we lose and this this is this could be said about anything political and i don't you know i don't mm-hmm. care what side of the fence you're on but you know if you leave an area because of the politics and let's let's face it these are politics that we're talking about here mm-hmm. um then you essentially put the nail in the coffin for that for that area you're not giving it a chance because you're taking the voice away from there that and believe me there's probably plenty of plenty of people in that area that have this same similar uh same or similar um viewpoint as you and that's why it's imperative that you know if you care about that area you know lock arms with those people and let's 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 get our voices heard and that's that's what we're doing. You know, ours, our main statement for how for wildlife and the reason why the main reason why we went with 
howl is because we wanted like a pack of wolves, one voice, one howl. Everybody's, you know, basically uh, directing their voice in one direction. So. Yeah, makes sense. Everybody should definitely go check it out and get in on it. And like for your area, will you guys have like the uh, bills or anything that's going on? Like you have like a list of what's going on in your area and stuff? Yeah, so if you go to the Action Center, the current bills that we are working on are up there right now. Um, If you have something, so, you know, we we rely upon the boots on the ground organizations from state to state to apprise us of things that are going on in each state. So uh, also we we go looking for it ourselves as as well, but um, being one national, actually multinational because we deal with Canada and we're getting involved in in stuff that is away from the United States. Um, But as a national organization, it's very hard to have your finger on the pulse of everything that's going on in every, cause I mean, there's even things that pop up that are like County driven, you know, yeah. like that's how it doesn't seem small, but that's small in comparison to a, a statewide thing or a federal thing. So uh, yes, we definitely try to keep our finger on the pulse, but we, and where I'm going with this is basically if the boots on the ground guys don't get us the information and we haven't found it ourselves, we love to hear from the individual hunter say, Hey, there's this thing going on here. Is this something that how for wildlife could get involved in? And you can message us on Instagram is probably the best or through the website, send an email, but cool. yeah. So if you, if you are unhappy about something and I'm going to be clear just to, so we don't get a bunch of you, we don't get really get involved in, people problems and what i mean by that is like so here in arizona last year well went over a couple years but last year we lost the ability to use trail cameras and because the trail camera thing is not directly related to a it's not going to limit people from being able being able to hunt directly i mean yes it might affect you it might uh diminish your effectiveness basically a little bit but it's not it's a people problem basically there's people on both sides of it is what i mean there's people that are hunters that are for trail cameras and there's people that are hunters that are against trail cameras so it made it very easy for the anti-hunting to come in and co-op this thing about banning trail cameras because there were so many hunters that were for banning it so stuff that is like that we typically stay out of because it's not directly affecting wildlife or management does that make sense i don't know yeah that makes that makes a ton of sense you know as opposed to you know a bear management plan or or elk herd um you know, tag allocations, stuff like that. We're all over that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, we even get involved in two way stuff uh, when it's directly tied to hunting. And and I want to be clear about it. the reason why we don't get into more of that is because as a 501c3, you have to stay pretty pretty mm. much in line with your mission. 
otherwise you are at risk of losing your 501 501c3 status okay so for those people that are, oh why don't you get involved in you know all gun rights or whatever um that's why so if we can't connect the dots as to why or how that's going to affect wildlife management um or or hunting privileges so to speak then it's hard for us to get involved in it but anytime it's obviously going to take away like hunting type rifles hunting type we can get involved in that easily so like when canada had their thing going on this last year is that something that you guys got involved we in? we are involved in it right now because okay. it's, it's circled back around because it got pushed back and now it came back to life and now we're working on it again so yes we are working on that in canada so i heard different takes on uh, on that like as far as like semi-automatic weapons and like 12 gauge you might not be able to have like a semi-auto 12 gauge or anything like that is that correct what it is okay yeah it's semi there's many guns on there that are listed that would be what people use for hunting okay so you guys are involved because we do have canadian listeners so they can they can also get involved in that like through you guys website okay yeah it's been huge we had we actually the great thing about canada is we we it, our our action is set up to hit all the um the, this let's say the decision makers of this policy it hits all of them a lot of those decision makers are opening up dialogue with people here in the united states and with the canadians themselves that have gotten involved to hear them out and that's what you need those are the things that move the needle right so um it's pretty pretty powerful pretty amazing yeah, that's a good thing. I'm definitely going to get on there and see what we got in our area, which ones I can get involved in. Um, yeah. And so just so you know that um, we have varying levels of membership and we offer a free membership. OK. OK. So there's a free membership on there. Mm-hmm. And we do we do that because this is how serious we are about moving the needle. This is how serious we are about protecting our rights that I don't want to come to you and say, hey, you can't get involved because you're not paying powerful wildlife $30 a year to be a member. Okay. And is so, part of the money going like to fight this type of stuff or? A hundred percent of it. Okay. It, Perfect. Because, I mean, right now we have really, I mean, the organization's small. We, we've got five or six, six people now, I think, working uh and at Halfa Wildlife and myself, Charles being the two co-founders and Charles is the president, I'm the vice president. Uh we do not see a dime. We do not pay check. And uh actually Charles himself himself has actually put in tens of thousands of dollars towards this. Uh and and I've put a, a number <laughs> I don't even know uh, high enough that I don't want my wife to hear. Um <laughs> And and then uh, we have, you know, the two, two other board members and none of the board members right now are. So we have two employees, but the, none of the board members are, are getting any any money from Alpha Wildlife. All the money is going back to running it, putting all these. We have so many different things that like are on the back burner right now, but there's so many different ideas of where we can engage and what we want to do. Like we have a program that we want to put together that it's an outreach to outreach start talking to the non-hunting public 
And, and your listeners can do this now as a grassroots effort. Start engaging in people that are non-hunters and talk to them about your your passion, about your how what it means to you and, and so on and so forth. And, and you could give them statistics too. You could give them, I mean, I, I implore you to educate yourself on those things before you go talk about them. But you could talk about conservation mm-hmm. and what that really means, what the difference is between conservation and preservation and what the North American model uh, is for wildlife conservation, that kind of stuff. If, if you educate yourself and you have these conversations with these people, they're more likely to be sympathetic to hunting when that stuff appears in the ballot box. But anyway, so we have programs that we're working on trying to get funding for to have an outreach that is much more uh, widespread and and into mainstream media. So, um, but you know, it's difficult. You're, you're the new kid on the block and uh that money's not easy to come by and those those, we're trying to we're trying to do things that you know require ridiculous amount of money ridiculous Mm -hmm. amount of know-how uh the right connections and so on and so forth so um it's it's quite the undertaking and hopefully we'll be able to make it come come to fruition here soon but yeah well Got to start somewhere. I mean, right? Like you said, the more people that you can get involved with, with it, like grassroots, it's. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can only go up from there. Even if they don't become hunters, just so they know what's going on and you know realize it's not a bunch of dudes drunk in a truck driving around chasing down animals and stuff. That's not you, you what said hunting it perfectly. is. That that is the picture. That is the picture that is painted of us the, of of us yeah. hunters out there, and and it's changing that. 50 years of conditioning of that Elmer Fudd, that, you know, hillbilly uh, perception that it, it's, I mean, like you said, it's an undertaking. And, and But the only way to have that changed is to start trying to change it because it's, yeah. you know, the other side, the other side's just mm-hmm. constantly, constantly, constantly force feeding anybody that will listen that narrative so yeah and sometimes we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot because i mean i understand you just got you're out in the middle of nowhere you just got a deer or whatever you got blood and you just want to stop in and get a gatorade at a gas station uh-huh. but i mean so you're like you might have blood on you but i mean don't walk through walmart wearing your full camo covered head to toe in blood and stuff like that showing off this view like it doesn't matter or whatever or, you know hang the right. deer off the hood and drive around town or, I mean, even, like, growing up, we had, like, uh, there's Jeff Fox for these, the incomplete or incompetent hunter, whatever it is. That's yeah. it's kind of like a funny video for us hunters, because we know it's a joke, but, I mean, non-hunters see that, and they, I mean, that, that just is, kind of paints a shitty light. That's what it's, they think. That's yeah. exactly what they think. Yeah, you're you're 100% right. We have to do a better job as a community uh, policing ourselves in how we portray ourselves, I should say, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it's tough because listen, you know, especially with social media and stuff like that, we all want to hell up. I'm the first person go look at my, you know, Instagram, there's tons of dead animals on there. Yep. Um, and I, I would be lying to you if I didn't say it, I didn't love posting my successes. Um, but there's also gotta be 
the right stories put with them. Um, not just the grip and grin, show the meat, show the meals that are made from it. Try to get a more encompassing uh, portrayal of the experience. Yeah. You know, it's not just pulling the trigger. It's not just grabbing bone. It's family. It's substance. It's uh, creating memories and and camaraderie and, and just all this other stuff that, that goes hand in hand. And then on top of it, and I don't know how you do this with pictures per se, per se but there is the conservation component. There is the giving back to the wildlife and caring about what the habitat looks like and caring about, you know, the landscape and, and, and the animals on it. So it has to be all those things and it can't be just, yeah. you know, look at my eight point book, the Churdy point book. Yeah. Well, like a positive light you can do is like volunteer for the ducks unlimited or pheasants forever or whatever it is when they're out planting trees or setting up, wood duck houses or whatever and take a picture of that and show that in the summertime yeah you know there's things that we're doing to be able to do this in the fall or all the work that it takes like practicing and i mean staying in decent shape to climb a mountain to go find something there's a lot more than just like i said driving around in a truck drunk and shooting out the window right it's not it's not that view but all right well let's uh let's move on a little bit you said you started like when you're five years old hunting I mean, were you just like dragging around a bow from day one or I guess, how'd you get started? So, and I don't recommend this for you young fathers out there. Um, my dad, I mean, he started dragging me in the round, around the woods as soon as I could walk. I'm sure. Um, I got pictures of me when I, man, I think I was two years old and I'm trying to hold this rifle in my hand and there's a dead deer or whatever. Um, but my first hunting like memorable hunting experience i was five and i went uh, hunting with my dad up in upstate new york and we were on a a farm a a friend's farm and we uh come up to this fence line and there's a buck out in the field and my dad and i set the gun on the fence post and you know he held me and the gun together and 35 marlin made a 150 yard shot (laughs) killed the buck uh, but you know, you know, my dad was helping me show, he was pretty much doing most of it, but I was holding the gun and I was part of that, but I don't recommend it because I was, uh, kind of traumatized, not by the dying of the deer, because I had seen that and I've been part of that and grew up with, you know, five years old, obviously I didn't grow up at that point, but <laughs> I've already had been exposed to it, but the, uh, the, the kick of the 35 <laughs> was not something I had done yet. Um, I had been shooting 22s and, and BB guns and pellet guns and whatever, but I had never, uh, had never shot that rifle. And that, uh, you know, that almost made me not want to shoot with firearms anymore, which actually kind of led me down the road of the bow thing. Um, I think I, I got into bow hunting a lot faster cause I'm still don't really love, loud things i'm not a big fan of i shouldn't say i'm not a big fan of rifle hunting because i like rifle hunting um it's just not my preferred method for sure um but yeah i grew up uh grew up on long island uh hunting deer archery 
uh, when I was younger, it was, you know, we used to go upstate New York and go firearm hunting and then did a little bit of like shotgun stuff. Mm-hmm. Moved out to Arizona when I was 16. Um, first two years I was out here, I primarily was like bird hunting and, you know, like quail and fe- uh, not pheasants, but quail and uh, rabbits and such. And um, it was it wasn't until I realized the opportunities that were here for for deer hunting uh, with the bow, and then I started really like kind of diving into it. Um, I think probably by the time I was right after I graduated from college, that's when I got like super serious. Like right around 1988, that's when I got really serious about hunting. <clears throat> Uh, and kind of dove into it head first. And like I said, by the time of 2001 rolled around, I was um, already recognized for for being successful consistently and having good practices and so on and so forth. And I was accomplished archer. And, um, you know, so, yeah. Then after that, I kind of never looked back. Like 2004, I, I started the Honey Channel online. And uh, got into the TV scene, podcasting, then yeah, here we are, 2023. Here we are, leading the fight for the hunters. 47 years old. And so, where are all? I guess have you gone hunting? Um, uh, geez, that's a lot. <laughs> I've uh. I've or if hunted. you want to, you can narrow it down to like your favorite places that you've been. Oh, my favorite place. That's easier. <laughs> well, I, I've hunted pretty much all over the eastern seaboard for whitetail and pigs and and whatnot. I've, I've hunted quite a bit in the Midwest and all over the West. And then, I mean, it's probably easier. I can tell you what, what states I haven't hunted in. Been to Hawaii yet? I have been to Hawaii, but I have not hunted there. Oh, okay. I want, I want to go. I want to hunt in Hawaii. It's, it's on. It's on the list of, of stuff to do. But I have. Uh, I have taken access deer, both in Florida and Texas. Um. I haven't hunted Oklahoma. I haven't hunted Michigan. I haven't hunted uh, Ohio, North Carolina. Running pretty low on states, then, if you're having to think that hard. I do honestly. I've been. Uh, I haven't. Did you go up to Alaska yet? I haven't been to Alaska. I haven't been to Hawaii. Oh, did I say Oklahoma? I haven't done Oklahoma, Nebraska, or Iowa. There's a little breadbasket there you haven't hit yet, right? The center yeah. of the country. Yeah, that's about it. I think I've been everywhere else. <laughs> so, what's your favorite thing to go after? Yes, <laughs> all of it. Honestly, yeah, I'm. I'm definitely a generalist. Um, Cause I get just as excited about it. But if I, if I had to, if you had to put my hand, hands to the fire, it's so tough because if, if I'm not taking rules, what I mean by rules, I mean like hunting seasons into consideration and opportunity to go hunt. If I'm not taking that into consideration, probably elk is my favorite. Um, I definitely enjoy the interaction. I love calling. I, I, I do really, uh, enjoy learning the language and and communicating with them um but 
Man, I think probably my most exciting hunt I've ever done, it, and also the craziest, is ibex hunting. Uh, I've re- I've really enjoyed that. I love deer hunting. I I chase muleys and coos deer and whitetail everywhere every year. You know, it's so hard for me to to really pick one. I I my favorite hunt that I do right now on it on a year to year basis is probably. Uh, mule deer in south dakota uh it is one of the few private land hunts where it is the only private land hunt that i get to do uh year after year i i guide over there and i lease land um to do that and um it's just a it's just a different experience you know knowing that you have a whole place to yourself and um and not that I don't enjoy public land hunting because that's, you know, 99% of my hunting is public land hunting. Um, it's also the amount of deer and the ability to have an impact on the um, on the genetics and and controlling, you know, what type of caliber of deer you'll see. And, you know, there there's a different aspect to it i really i i've really grown to enjoy that and love that um but you know still i think the king is public land elk hunting for me. yeah so uh i guess out of all of the hunting and everything you've done do you have like a most memorable hunt or i mean the coolest hunt you can think of at all i know there's a big bank you have to go through but <laughs> you know what i it's so funny because I really don't. It always like reverts back to the last hunt that I did. Like, um, yeah, I, I, it's so hard for me because they're they're all just they all have a certain something to them. I don't. The only I could tell you right now, the only hunt that I ever did that I was like, eh, I didn't need to do this was last year. I went rifle hunting for antelope, and I was so unsatisfied, so not. I don't know, like, I don't even want to say displeased, but that's the only word I can think of right now. Displeased with the hunt. It was so, didn't feel like hunting. Hell, I've been to a game ranch before where like, you know, I've I've done it three times now where it was like a, you know, a pinned hunt. And I was, this felt like that, you know, you know, that to me is not hunting. It's, you know, it's to each his own, you know, but. It's like grocery shopping yeah. with a weapon to me. And that's the way I viewed it, you know. Yeah. But most memorable hunt I ever had, or the mo- the one that stands out to me the most, is actually a white-tailed deer hunt in, in Long Island uh, for a buck call, I call Swamp Donkey. The reason why it's, is I have a, had a four-year, like, um, saga with this buck you know from from the first time i i was aware of his presence to when i finally killed him it was four years um and it's already i mean that was back in 2016 so completely all the details of it have lost my have been lost on me but the the short story is this i i i was hunting i shot a deer um in 2012 that deer ran into a place where i had to go get permission to go recover him 
And when I did that, I saw him for the first time. It was like standing over my dead deer. <laughs> and uh, I got permission. And I, I ended up getting permission to hunt on that place. And um, I, I tried, had numerous, you know, sightings of them from the stand, just to never get in the right place, never be in the right place at the right time. And I finally, like, something went off in my brain. And I was like, okay, something's going on here. Why I can't kill this buck. I got him on camera. I got him patterned. I, I, I know where he's at. I know what he's using. Da, 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 and I still can't kill this buck. So I kind of looked at it differently. I stopped going in in the morning. And I would show up at like 11 a.m. I guess it's technically still morning, but I wasn't going in first thing in the morning. I would show up at 11 a.m. And instead of being right on specific um, corridors, I found um, what I call is just like a buck trail. It's like the, these faint, faint, faint trails. And the only reason why you know bucks are using it really is that you'll see some small rubs on it. And I found this one rub and I knew it had to be him because no other deer was big enough in the area to do it. Um, and he had broke over a sapling and destroyed another tree that was quite a bit big around. And um, so I just made some minor adjustments and did a couple things different. And first sit, here he comes down that trail and going to a scrape line that that I knew that he was hitting because of my, I had trail cam footage of him and uh, yeah. And I was able to take him and that, that, that to me was probably just cause I had so much, there was so much of a chess game, but you know, as a physical feat, it was, you know, it's a whitetail hunt in, in Long Island. I, I literally had a hike 150 yards to my stand and, you know, drag him out to a road, you know, that kind of situation. It's not, you know, it's definitely not epic. You know, I have yeah. hunts where I've had a pack, you know, elk out 14 miles and, you know, stuff like that are just crazy memorable uh, hunts. But something about that hunt because of the, the focus of just wanting one deer and doing it a certain way. Um, mm -hmm that that stood out to me um also this year here in arizona not quite as epic and long of a of a of a saga but i uh there was a book that i nicknamed megatron and um i had some encounters with him last year couldn't make it happen and i had it i had it bad for this buck i really wanted to get him and then i got covid took me out for the whole rest of uh deer season in january and uh i never never got back after out after him this december when the season opened back up i spent a lot of time out there couldn't couldn't locate him found another buck that i you know made the hit list and i was really interested in and it kind of made plays for him and i was out there one morning with my cousin and i spotted my now hit lister buck which we call heavy d and um i make a play for heavy d i'm stalking him and on my stalk to heavy d i notice a white muzzle bedded underneath a tree and i kind of like position myself in a way and i'm like oh 
oh shit, that's Megatron. That's the buck from last year. You know, it's very, very distinct. He's a five by five and he's a five by five opposite. So like the main beam on the left side has the fifth point coming off the main beam in the front and the fifth on the, on the main beam comes off the back. So he's completely opposite on either side, just real tall and tight, not a wide buck at all. Um, I think he's maybe 23, 24 inches, maybe wide, but super tall. I don't know what he scores. I haven't had him scored, but it wasn't about score for me. Just real heavy, like super heavy back bases and everything. So I literally left a buck that probably scored better. I was in position to make a play on this other buck. And I saw this other buck 183 yards away from me. Uh, and I was less than a hundred from the other buck. And I was like, I got to go after this buck. I want, this is my guy right here. And I made a play on him. And then for whatever reason, I don't know because he just disappeared. And when I got to where he was, there was another three by three buck standing there. Don't know what happened anyway. So for the next few days, I kept trying to get to a glassing spot early. Uh, which keeps showing up earlier and earlier and somebody kept beating me to that glassing spot so i couldn't ever get into a spot where i could see him well finally morning uh january 6th comes rolls around and i get out super early like three hours two and a half hours before light climb up to this glassing spot and i'm just waiting waiting and waiting waiting and uh first light hits and there's some deer right below us, right below the, where, the knob that we're glassing from. And Charles is like, yeah, my, my buddy Charles, um, also the president of Half Wildlife. He's like, there's deer right below us. It was so dark, barely can make out. And then I pulled my binos up and I'm like, that's Megatron. That's Megatron right there. And he was like 200 yards from us. So I put a play immediately on him which may or may not have been a smart thing to do but uh, in the end it worked out for us but i put a play on him and about a half an hour goes by and i find myself from 55 yards from him in the does but i don't i can't see him because they're in this little cut and this little spike starts coming up the cut where they're bedded or at least this is where I believe they're better. Nobody's got eyes on them, but I, I believe they're better in there um, or feeding in there or whatever. And he's blowing the whole time, like snort, uh, snort wheezing, not snort wheezing, but alarm snorting the whole time. And I'm like, why? There's no way he's getting my wind. My wind's going the opposite direction. Anyway, so he gets there and the, all the deer come out to greet him and swing around. Now they're, heading towards where my wind is going and um i had one opportunity to shoot megatron at this in this particular situation but it wasn't like a really an ethical shot i would have had to shoot over the top of a, a doe to shoot him um if she was clear i would have definitely taken the shot um anyway long story short one of the does catches wind of me boom they blow out him the spike and a doe run off in one direction and the other four does run off in, in a different direction. So I quickly run back up to the top 
and I pick them back up and I'm watching and watching and watching. And finally, they get to a place where they're calm. I don't think he even, he never knew what happened because he never smelled me and needed the, the spike. It was, and, or the doe that was with them. It was a different doe that busted and made them all run. So, um, anyway, they, uh, they calmed down and I had my cousin Joe with me and, and Charles and I put Joe on a radio. And I dropped in after this buck and, you know, he was just keeping tabs with them. And I just kept shadowing him and shadowing him. And by 930 that morning, um, I was able to arrow him mm-hmm. at uh, 56 yards and uh, bring that to a close. So I was super excited. Do you think that a uh, guy that kept beating you to that glassing spot knew about him? And that's oh, yeah, absolutely. Doing. We talked okay. about it after the fact. And, um, he had he had some opportunities at him and just couldn't make it happen. So you you did find the guy that yeah was looking at yeah cool. well actually one of his buddies reached out to me. Matter of fact, after I had shot him, I had <clears throat> these four people message me say, oh yeah, we've seen that. They knew about him. Yeah, yeah, because we were hunting in an area that's not. I mean, it's not super well known, but it's it's kind of heavily hunted. Yeah. You know, there's there's a distinct group of guys that are in there all the time so why don't we end on that story that was a good one um and i guess if you ever get more free time and want to do this again i'm sure you got a pile more that people would love to hear sure uh, um so if uh people want to find you i guess if you want to give out your socials and then again how to get on the how for wildlife sure absolutely uh yeah my social media is i, ba- I mainly operate off of instagram it's just john stallone uh, howforwildlife.org is the uh, website. Uh, daysinthewild.com. That will show you my guiding services. My, which I don't, we didn't really talk about that. I'm a guide as well. Um, but my podcast is there. And uh, Instagram for how is how underscore org. Okay. Awesome. Well, Thanks again for doing this. I mean, I really got into those stories there. I wish we had like another hour because it's more. But like I said, if you ever want to come back on, you're always welcome. And uh, I guess if anything comes up that the uh, people need to know about, like, you know, to get on for a howl for wildlife, uh, if you want to come on and let us know about it, that'd be awesome. Sure. Yeah. As long as if you become a member, you'll get uh, emails of anything that's popping up. Okay. Perfect. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Yep. Have a good one. You too. Bye.